everyone, and welcome to another episode of Upward. This is a podcast where we share and highlight the stories of Asian Americans in corporate and business America. We share their career journeys, lessons learned in their professional experiences, and advice as an Asian American in corporate America. And this is your host, Min Kwan. So today for our guest, we have Derek Wong, who is the co-founder and chief marketing officer of Maneco, which is a fintech startup in Singapore. So hi, Derek. Welcome to the podcast. Um, I'd love to start out with your career journey and how you got from, you know, graduating from UC Irvine and moving to Singapore and co-founding your own startup in the fintech space. Sure. Yeah. So I can walk you through uh, my career journey to how I am here today in Singapore. But it starts with university, going to UC Irvine down in Southern California. For me, it was never my first choice to go to Irvine. I wanted to go to a different school. But, you know, there was a great business program at Irvine. Uh, But as luck would have it, I was put into my second choice undeclared. So I had to basically claw tooth and nail to prove myself that even though I wasn't a business major, that I was still very passionate about marketing, very passionate about entrepreneurship, and that I had to show through actions, the results that it's not just your grades, it's not your GPA, but it's the impact that you have, the experiences that you earn that will make you stand out. So uh, through university, I you know, sought out a lot of different leadership responsibilities, lots of different types of professional uh, experiences, whether it's you know leading organizations, case comps, or just a lot of different internships. I think that was a broad spectrum of different industries and segments within, ooh, whether it's advertising, consulting, brand management, lots of different marketing-focused, um, I'd say, experiences. But I was very fortunate that I had a friend who helped me uh, with my own career preparations when I was a junior during that summertime. I was getting ready to prepare for management consulting interviews. And uh, my friend who at the time was about to start at Bain, so very well qualified to give lots of coaching there, he asked me, what is it that you really want to do? And he said, you know, you know consulting is a pretty generalist path that you know, there's, no, there's no harm in going down that path, but it seems like you, you have a better sense of what you want to do. And that I was kind of taking the, you know, doing what everybody tells you to do, the more prescribed road. So I told him, you know, hey, I really wanted to work at Microsoft. That was you know, one of my, my dreams since I was a kid. Uh, I was born and raised in you know, Cupertino, you know, hometown of Apple. But mm-hmm. as much as I respect the ethos and brand of Apple, I myself have never owned an Apple product. I admire Steve Jobs in many ways, but I also think he is kind of a terrible human being. But I've always held Bill Gates and their products in a much higher regard. So right around that time, graduating in you know 2009, uh, excuse me, 2013, uh, mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to uh, join Microsoft. Uh, lots of fun experiences and a whole other story of the whole networking piece, which we can dive into if that's of interest. But uh, I had a chance to join the Xbox team on their hardware team on the year that they were launching Xbox One. So that was uh, very much a dream come true. I was always a big gamer, and it was quite a cool experience being part of a, a global product launch being able to say, you know, you launched Xbox One, whether you're a PlayStation fan, a, a Xbox fan, or a Nintendo fan, it's just being able to take part in launching a, a momentous product that people love all around the world was really, really significant, both personally and within my career. I'm thankful that I started at uh, a really cool, recognizable brand yeah. like Microsoft. I think it opened a lot of doors for myself, you know, starting you know in product marketing, uh, which is a 
really unique field in and of itself, you know, at that intersection of product management, marketing, and so many different, you know, cross-functional teams. Mm -hmm. uh, I was there for about two and a half years up in Seattle. That was a good experience uh, moving out of state for the first time. Yep. Very different climate than sunny California. Mm -hmm. uh, but after a few years, I had an opportunity to move down to Southern California to work at Riot Games, the makers of League of Legends, which is uh, since, ooh, since I was a freshman good. in college. Yeah, that was my favorite game. And there's a, a lot of excitement uh, around the space, esports, League of Legends. You know, for me, this was kind of a, another serendipitous moment that mm -hmm. you know, I was ready to leave Seattle. You know, this perfect opportunity came here. My brother was at the company as well. I moved on to Los Angeles. I wanted to get more experience on the marketing side, the more creative side, but I uh, spent two years working at Riot Games. And then I realized that, hey, I was working in the gaming industry for quite a few years, wanted to find new challenges. And I came back up to the Bay Area, my uh, hometown. Uh, I love doing career coaching. That was one of the big impetuses towards you know, moving towards uh, LinkedIn. I, outside of gaming, I love doing career coaching, career consulting. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to say that after video games, that's probably the thing that I get the most enjoyment out of. Okay. So I joined LinkedIn on their consumer marketing team. I uh, had an experience working on their, their privacy, data, security, more on their trust and safety team. So it uh, wasn't my, you know, like my domain expertise or some area that I you know, had a personal passion about, but I did it for about a year. And during that time, it made me ask, hey, am I happy? Am I being fulfilled? Am I challenging myself? Is this the path that I can see myself in the long term? Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that at, uh, at 28, I was not, not challenging myself enough. But I've always told myself that I wanted to move to Asia. I've tried at both Microsoft to move to Singapore. At, uh, at Riot, I wanted to move to Hong Kong, to move mm -hmm. to China, but you know, none of those opportunities materialized. And even with LinkedIn, you know, that was one of my goals, but the, the transition going from these multinationals to an international role, it's not just, are you good at it? But it's also, you know, what does a, a, a regional marketing role look like? It usually involves, hey, you know the market very well because you were born and raised there. Right. So for me, it made me realize that in order to really make this change happen. I had to figure out, is this what I really wanted? And so I took some time off to travel for a few months, you know, spending some time in Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, um, East Asia. And I realized that at this point in my life, this is a very exciting market. Southeast Asia is booming like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, I encountered a, a, an old colleague and coworker from LinkedIn who uh, told me about this startup program that he took part of uh, called Antler. Yep. So after meeting up with him in Vietnam at a really, really random you know, hole in the wall Vietnamese restaurant in uh, Saigon, Ho Chi Minh City, uh, I told him about my, my dream of working at a startup, creating a startup and then being in Singapore. And he's like, dude, those were exactly what I wanted to do when I was at LinkedIn, a little too cushy. He put me in touch with, you know, the program. I was in Singapore the next week to interview. And hey, you know, I was able to join the program. Uh, that, the whole program is entirely other, you know, another chapter, which I can right. share at length. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what brought me to Singapore. So now I'm the uh, co-founder of a fintech startup called Mineco. And yeah, yeah. So that's my journey to getting to Singapore. And I know there's possibly a lot of things to unpack, but I'll pass it yeah. over back to you. That That is a lot to unpack. I think I'm just trying to go back to your original story about mm -hmm. your friend telling you about, you know, consulting versus marketing. Yeah. And if you had gone down that um, consulting route, your mm -hmm. career might have taken a very different picture or a route. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you decide, you know, marketing? Did you know that you wanted to do marketing mm -hmm. beforehand? How did you decide it was right mm -hmm. for you? Yeah. So 
the short way of answering is I know since fourth grade that I wanted to do marketing. Oh, I think wow. one of my friends, dads, he came in to, you know, to bring your parent to work day and talked mm-hmm. about marketing. And I was just hooked. You know, it was my best friend's dad. You know, he asked a question about what is a market. I remember answering the question and you're very heavily influenced by your peers. I was in a, a business fraternity surrounded by lots of other you know, business minded folks that had different interests, had different career paths. You know, some did the big four accounting because that's what you know came very regularly for recruiting. You know, that was the stable and hey, for folks that are looking for stability, that are looking for you know nine to five during non busy season. You know, a a very predictable, reliable job. That's what they would go for. And then for me, I always had this other dimension that I wanted. I wanted to find a lot of my own identity within the work that I did, and you know. I kind of lost track of, you know, what marketing plus that passion would equal to on that equation. So that variable wasn't there. So I realized, is it because it's marketing? It's because of the right product. So then of course, you know, as you start talking to different circles, you know, you might eventually learn about consulting and consulting was not a big recruiting practice at uh, UC Irvine, but it was this friend as well as my roommates at the time, we all just became obsessed with it. We'd, you know, watch case studies, we'd, mm-hmm. you know, watch Victor Chang, you know, uh, all of his mm-hmm. career resources. And it was, it was great. It was like really, really valuable uh, skill set. you know, doing case yeah. interviews, but it made me realize that as glamorous it might be to fly from point A to point B, I knew that I would not be marching down a path that I chose. I knew that that was what society, that's what I, I think my peers would respect more. But at the same time too, I would, I always believe in making the right decision for yourself. I think it's mm-hmm. knowing yourself and making decisions according to your own uh, value hierarchy versus yeah. doing that which society tells you to do. So I'm very, very thankful that I you know, took the right path. You know, my friend you know, gave me the right uh, coaching and asked me the right questions instead of just forcing me down this management consulting mold. No. I was able to, you know, pursue what I found a lot more meaning in. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I think there's a lot of inten- intentionality in your career as I hear your story. And mm-hmm. you you said you always, you've always wanted to work for Microsoft and you got that job. Um, but mm-hmm. then you also intentionally moved over to Riot Games because video games is what you wanted to work on. So how did you, yeah. every time you achieve the so-called dream job or dream role, mm-hmm. how did you evolve yeah. that dream in your, in your career? Yeah, certainly. I think, you know, early on, I remember as a university student, you know, you had this idea that a dream job equals, you know, everything is perfect and it stays perfect mm-hmm. and, you know, you're happy forever. But, and of course we know that's folly, right? You know, it's, it's yeah. you can call it that the mountain and molehill, you know, uh, dilemma where you're you're climbing one mountain as soon as you get to the top you're like oh where do I go next mm-hmm. uh, but what's happening increasingly so is you know you're just starting to climb the mountain and you start to ask shoot is this the right mountain that I want to be climbing mm-hmm. right that's why you I think it's because there's you know, this is a positive that there's more career resources a lot more information about different fields earlier right. on I mean even Wikipedia I mean Wikipedia was barely there when I was in high school I can't yeah. imagine how easy it is to write essays now with Wikipedia <laughs> but you know there's just the, the sheer amount of like career resources you know yeah. communities blogs you know thought leaders like yourself to share stories you know I think uh, come tying that all together uh, it's it's because you get more information, you make the best decision based on the information you have at the time, right? Uh, when you're a university student, depending on how much information you choose to get about you know, the future and these roles, as well as the information you garner about yourself, right? Like what is it that you're passionate about? Cause you can very well ignore those questions. I think that helped me figure out what was right for me. And then 
as I was started working at say Microsoft, you know, you get exposed to so many different types of leaders, you know, at varying levels within the, the corporate hierarchy. You have these super charismatic VPs and you realize they're all different leadership styles, how they answer questions. Mm -hmm. But of course you always have your, your middle manager or your direct manager, right? Folks that aren't that senior and you realize, you know, the types of dilemmas, those are situations that they face, you know, some are able to, you know, face them head on and just flatten everybody in their way, you know, that they make, uh, before I dive into that story, but I basically, I, I got exposed to a whole gambit of different types of direct managers, you know, whether it's really charismatic ones, the folks that interviewed me, the folks that I was so inspired by and to watch them, you know, kind of be, be chewed up alive by the, mm -hmm. the corporate ladder. And uh, I guess the, the rat race itself, mm -hmm. and then being put to other managers that while on paper are very excellent, they have a certain way of demeaning other humans, you know, seeing all the, all the women on my teams break down in tears, you know, after one-on-ones that made me realize like, wow, this is not the person that I want to be, right? It's symptomatic when this seems like that. everyone at the director level or senior director level seems to have that sort of management style. So I realized that, Hey, you know, I don't want to be that person. Let me see what else is out there. Let me get some more perspectives. In terms of, you know, going from company to company or from yeah. switching industries, what do you think, um, as you learn, uh, were the skills that kind of translated throughout those various roles? What has helped you mm -hmm. kind of be successful at each role? And what mm -hmm. has been, what, what's been the overlaps and commonalities? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So for me, I think in terms of like titles and, or functional areas, you know, product marketing, brand marketing, and then back to product marketing. Mm -hmm. So from a from a semantics level, you know, the, the titles have not changed significantly. The roles have changed significantly, the type of responsibilities. Uh, I'd say the one thing that is common throughout is your ability to lead without a title, you know, leading through influence. How do you get people to do certain things? In a weird way, something I'm learning through the startup world is, you know, maybe I'm not the best, you know, growth marketer. Maybe I'm not the best, you know, copywriter in terms of writing my own ads or, you know, making a beautiful website. But in the corporate world, you know, your job is to be able to oversee everything, be the, you know, the, the jack of all trades, a yeah. strong communicator, being someone who is judicious about your timelines. Uh, if anything, the over communicating, the being able to like, almost negotiate or fight for your projects. Uh, those are all, of course, very important things as a, as a product marketer, your job is to, you know, help the product team decide what to build your job is to do research your job is to you know develop the go-to-market plan your job is to make sure the product ships on time you know there's a lot of different responsibilities that you have depending on the, the life cycle of the product you're working on so i'd say you know of course general you know project management skills strong timelines those are all super important things um, but i think more than anything it's, it's the negotiation piece, the sales and negotiation piece. I didn't realize how important it was until until you, you look at it from that lens. It's, oh, that's actually what's going on during these you know staff meetings, during the leadership meetings. It's you share some information and then they ask you questions on why this makes sense or why are we doing this at all? Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating. I remember going into some very, very big executive meetings where I was just a fly on the wall. And it's just fascinating how like a lot of things you read about, you know, the, the hierarchy, you know, the influence, who's sitting on the right hand side, who's whispering yeah. into their ear. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating, right? How, how influence and decisions get made. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I, I can go at length about, you know, what, what I think about that, but uh, yeah, lots of important skills there, whether you like the idea of you know, selling and negotiating, it's, yeah. it's the, the unwritten necessities in, in uh, corporate America or in any sort of uh, hierarchy. 
Yeah, I think the the one thing that I have realized about this marketing world, mm-hmm. especially in the CPG um, yeah. world, is that this interpersonal relationship building is so important just because you have to be an effective communicator as a marketer, not only in your mm-hmm. day-to-day lives, but also in the work that you do uh, to make sure mm-hmm. that you know the brand voice, brand tone is effect, uh, effectively communicated. Um, mm-hmm. So in your experience, how did you kind of build on that and hone in on your communication skills? And how did you kind of build that community around you so that you can mm-hmm. you know be success as successful of a marketer as you can be yeah yeah and you know with all the caveats the right ones it's not that i'm a rock star marketer you know i've you know i've grown a lot i've learned a lot um i'm not the the person who gets the most promotions you know i'm not the person who you know is always trying to you know suck up to xyz leader you know i think i'm i've always maintained a very authentic persona uh, and with that is you know, I'm not afraid to speak my mind, but I also don't feel the necessity to say whatever's on my mind at every given moment, right? So I think that's mm-hmm. a something that's that balance. is a fine balance. I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, yeah. certain people that literally will open their mouths in a meeting just to say something purely to be heard, right? And, and to a certain extent, sometimes in these large, large companies, that is what what gets you noticed. Sometimes and, it is, yeah. I think right, yeah. But I think overall, I've always been a pretty solid communicator. I've always loved you know leading groups, you know, whether in college or even in high school. Uh, so communication always came pretty easy to me, you know, staying organized on top of things. I think the over communication, I ended up just realizing, like, oh, well, it doesn't hurt to send an extra email, right? Like as simple as that. Um, I think the the most important game that I realized is, you know, I think for us millennials, you know, us lovely strawberry generation kiddos, right? We, we got this reputation that we're afraid to pick up the phone. We're afraid to have face-to-face meetings. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like, very confrontational, but I'm not afraid to, you know, confront issues that need to be mm-hmm. confronted. So I think finding that right balance doesn't mean that if I need to confront someone, I'm like, hey, you, we need to talk. It's, yeah. it's you know, you do it diplomatically. Uh, of course, you know, throughout the years, you learn about certain words that you should use, should not use, you know, mm-hmm. you get feedback from people. And I, I love getting the feedback, whether it's you know, even most recently, I, I would out of habit, right? thanks in advance, you know, simply, like, oh, thank you, like, so much, like, even though you haven't agreed yet, and then mm-hmm. someone's, like, hey, actually, it was, like, a completely unsolicited feedback, too, it was from yeah. a, a CPA friend, that, a friend of a friend who's a CPA that I recently needed some tax guidance on, uh, he was, like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, that also implies that we're already going to do the favor, and I was, like, oh, good point, you know, so there's always That's so much to learn, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, 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 I, I found that to be really, really helpful, but communication, spoken, verbal, body language, mm-hmm. all critical. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point about, you know, being the loudest voice in the room or versus mm-hmm. like being the most effective communication uh, communicator in the in, in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, that kind of transitions us into my next topic, which is culture. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I think um, culture plays a large role in how I approach my work and mm-hmm. for a lot of people, obviously. How has culture played in your role? And, and I bring this up because mm-hmm. for me, you know, being raised up in an Asian family household yeah. um, with very conservative values, you know, you're always mm-hmm. told to defer to your um, elders, you know, older is always right. Um, mm-hmm. But in corporate America, it's not necessarily true. Sometimes the biggest voice in the room, whatever the level, regardless of the level, um, mm-hmm. gets the attention and gets the gets the kudos, I guess. Um, yeah. So how, how has um, culture played a role in your in your experience mm-hmm. in your, in your yeah, career? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really big question to, to tackle. Uh, I, I didn't speak about this earlier, but it's a, it's a issue that I became increasingly more aware of, you know, especially during my time at LinkedIn, you know, I think without going too much into the, the, uh, 
diversity, inclusion, belonging, vernacular. But you know, I was uh, very, very involved with employee resource group, helping to start being one of the co-founders for Asian employee group at LinkedIn. That was a very, very eye-opening experience. So you know, we can talk at length about the whole. You know, uh, well, it's been a while since I've you know I've been so steep in the startup. You know, all the basically it's like. <laughs> Oh man, it's not just representation or diversity practices. You know, it's the, uh, the opportunities to be promoted. There's there's so many deep layers that we can unpack in this this onion or this you know fruit mm-hmm. that we can uh, analogize. But I think more close to your question is yes. You know, the notion of being Asian, Asian American in corporate America, there are so many different elements that you need to you know, be more aware of, right? I, I think the the Fung brothers, my goodness, it's funny how in out here in Singapore, very few people watch the same YouTube videos we do back in the States. So I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, very, very different. Yeah, the, the, the philosophers of the Fung brothers. But I remember one of their most memorable videos that I've watched was uh, you know, about yappies, right? And like what they have mm-hmm. to do to adjust to corporate America. And I found that to be, you know, jaw-droppingly accurate. You know, I grew up in the West Coast and it's a very different story than, you know, some of the Asian folks that grew up on the East Coast where they're very much minorities amongst, you know, amongst their communities. But where I grew up, you know, in Silicon Valley, you know, where mm-hmm. Cupertino is 63%, you know, Asian or uh, Asian, oh, wow. Asian American, right? So I, I was never really a minority per se. If anything, I was kind of the weird, I was like one of the few, like Chinese, ethnically Chinese people that didn't take Mandarin. I was like, I'm gonna learn Spanish because I actually want to learn a language versus get the DCA. Uh, so with that in mind, you know, for me, that was a quite a bit of an adjustment, even moving to Seattle, uh, which is a relatively diverse city compared to many places in America. Uh, I mean, adjusting to corporate America was so different. You know, I was a huge NBA fan, right? But of course, Seattle doesn't have a team anymore, right? But, you know, I have to learn how to love the Seahawks. And granted, you know, I'm glad that, you know, my dad, you know, taught me about football and know how to you know, know all the rules, you know, it would be even, <laughs> even more of a cultural adjustment. But, you know, literally it's like, I have to watch the game so I can talk to my coworkers about like who scored what touchdown mm-hmm. in what quarter, right? Like there's certain adjustments there or learning not to get triggered, right? By right. certain microaggressions right i mean i'm 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 saying we could go deep into this topic let me know i mean yeah i mean that's that's interesting because that that notion of like having to uh, you know i never my in my childhood i never watched football i just never was interested in sports but Mm. uh and i didn't watch a lot of the like quintessential american tv show i didn't watch friends i didn't watch the office like it Mm. just wasn't a part of my life and yeah. in you know corporate America, there's so much conversation around the, mm-hmm. these cult, mm-hmm. little cultural moments. Yeah. And I don't watch the Emmys. I don't watch the Grammys. I don't watch that because right. it just like doesn't occur to me that, that it, this mm-hmm. will be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you bring up a good point that you kind of you know watch the games to like have that conversation with your coworkers. And I mm-hmm. think it's interesting. Uh, it, my my question is, I guess this is a challenging mm-hmm. question: is like, do we have to do that? Do we have to do that in mm-hmm. order to be? you know, fitting into an American corporate culture or do mm-hmm. we need to do that in order to be successful? Like if yeah. we can't make small talk in conversations in corporate mm-hmm. America, does that limit our um, success? Do you think? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's by nature, the question itself is an unbalanced question where need and fitting in are almost like they're not, it's not a full on duality, but then you truly, technically you don't need to fit in. If you want to fit in, Yes, you know, you should try to connect with different people, uh, connect with people on different terms, right? Like mm-hmm. if, like, so I guess, you know, you can talk about, you know, very Asian hobbies, right? So, you know, on one end, you know, like watching football, you know, like you know, even like watching basketball, I guess is, you know, very common Asian American pastime, right? Mm-hmm. But those are like, you know, pretty, those are easily translatable across culture, right? right. Versus like, oh, like badminton or like Chinese orchestra music, you know, mm-hmm. in addition to, you know, playing piano, I 
for a few years, I learned how to play the the Chinese violin, which is the music, the instrument of choice for you know aging Chinese grandfathers, right? Like that is just not a common instrument to talk yeah. about, right? So with that in mind, it's like okay, like it would it be silly? I think it'd be very silly if I tried to strike a conversation with folks that aren't you know, that don't recognize the instrument and expect to quote unquote fit in. Right. right? So I think it's to a certain extent, it's like, if you do want to, you know, bridge, bridge the gap, yes, mm-hmm. it can help to learn about other people's culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, you know, part of the responsibility as being, you know, civically responsible, socially conscious Asian Americans is not to forget that we are also in America and America has its own set of values, cultures, and customs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way too, you know, it's being able to respectfully push back or be able to recognize when your culture is being intruded upon. Right. Mm-hmm. And to do so in a mindful way. And of course, you know, I've had times where, you know, there's been microaggressions, right? Yeah, there's, there's definitely, uh, <laughs> like there's, there's, I mean, so many different, I'm sure you, you've had your moments too, you know, yeah. growing up, yeah, uh, definitely. or going to school on the East coast or even working in New York. I know New York is, a, it's, it's a pretty woke place, but just, right. I'm sure you've had moments as well. And I know, mm-hmm. uh, I feel it's, it's in a strange way, you know, I, I used to, in this past year, you know, going from, you know, being in the Bay Area, being another, you know, I guess another you know, tech worker, you know, Asian American mm-hmm. tech worker. Uh, I think a lot of my identity is now completely just transposed and translated out here to Singapore in ways mm-hmm. that like, you know, the, a lot of my hobbies, my pastimes do, whether it's doing the podcast, uh, you know, being a, a leader in the Asian American community, uh, being a, a spokesperson for, mm-hmm. for, you know, the, the diversity inclusion movement, those all kind of like evaporated when I'm like, I'm going to do a startup in Asia. Right. So that's something that I'm like, I have not, you know, spoken these words about, you know, diversity in many months. So pardon the rust. No, no. I think, I mean, it's still, Mm. I guess the next question is like, yes, Mm. there we are in America. We need to balance that. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we, how do you, how, how did you balance it between becoming this mindless, you know, intaker Mm -hmm. of American culture and trying Mm -hmm. to force yourself Mm -hmm. into fitting in Mm -hmm. And then being on your authentic self, right? Because we want to be that right, balance right. between our authentic cultural selves mm-hmm. and then also, you know, adjusting so that we can actually, you know, thrive and be a part of the culture and corporate America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is such a fascinating question. And, you know, I'm going to probably catch flack from people that might have differing views, right? But in the day, like, everyone does it in their own way, right? For myself, like, I think I can have conversations with anybody. Um, you know, I think I've had a pretty multicultural background, I'm sure as yourself as well. So I feel like I'm, I am comfortable, you know, having conversations with any ethnicity, um, gender, you know, uh, denomination, whatever it may be. At the same time too, like naturally, I also recognize that whether you can say at a holistic level, you know, the world is tribal or just, I just tend to have more Asian friends, right? Like I just naturally, like if you're at a, like a big networking event, I still remember at Microsoft, like there's like thousands of people and just somehow it's like, oh, you're like the Asian <laughs> person. Like, oh snap, you know, that, that tends to happen, right? We, yeah. you know, like attracts, like you just have a, a dimension of, you know, it's just you can call it compatibility but you just immediately have something in common that you can have a conversation about um so i think that's something that i recognize right and perhaps you know again i'm just reflecting on my time at linkedin where i really put myself out there as like i am you know one of the so to talk about that 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 leadership role where i wasn't the founder i was kind of brought in i joined the the team that was trying to start it uh 
but the team you know, was based out of a satellite office in Chicago, right? I was like the first person in like the Bay Area, the HQ of LinkedIn to like try and like make mobilize this um, thing, uh, kind of like be on the ground at the HQ. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, since I basically had to be the face and the voice and the author of the emails, right? Like you start being recognized as like this leader of this Asian employee group. Mm-hmm. And I also recognize too, like that doesn't always paint a good picture, right? Because once you stand up for something, there's people that may not feel the same way, whether they're Asian, whether they're not Asian, right? Like, because as you learn more, it's like the, the, the case in Asia, like, especially in the Bay Area, you know, Asians represent, uh, I used to remember this, I think it was like 64% of the technical roles at at LinkedIn were, were Asian, right? So it's like, whoa, we have like, entire teams that speak like in Mandarin, right? We have have Chinese food, we have Indian food, you know, every day, right? It's like, if you, on one one hand, it's like, what else do you want, right? Like guys, we have like literally like porridge, (laughs) noodle soup for breakfast, right? Like, right. So I totally understand. It's like, hey guys, like what are you really complaining about, right? Mm -hmm. In the same way, like May, well, it's currently May, right? May is like, you know, um, Asian Pacific heritage uh, a month, right? And at the same time too, you know, Cinco de Mayo, another very important holiday happens, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, for us, this, oh, so I'm, I'm no long, I can take no credit for putting this together, but I was very <laughs> proud to see, you know, the, the team, the continuity, you know, go through like, oh, wow, they did a collaboration with, you know, uh, the uh, Hispanic ERG at LinkedIn to do something good together. So it's like, oh, it's the Asian month, but hey, this is a very important day uh, for a Hispanic community. How do we come together and, you know, join forces? So yeah. uh, without all this kind of like, you know, background, color, commentary, right? At the end of the day, like everyone kind of does it their own way. I think you, yeah, I think you also mentioned this in your podcast and you mm-hmm. just brought it up that bamboo ceiling, the notion of mm-hmm. bamboo ceiling, and also yeah. the fact that, as you said, 64% of technical roles being Asian, like what more could we want? Mm-hmm. But I think there mm-hmm. is that discrepancy of, you know, mm-hmm. Asian Americans are like one of the most likely demographic groups to get hired mm-hmm. into corporate America, yet they have yeah. this cap at the senior level and executive um, positions mm-hmm. where they don't get promoted into it. Mm-hmm. So it's a question of, is there a systematic thing that is blocking Asian Americans from being promoted? Or is it just that culturally, we just like going out into different, doing different things, like doing startups and doing, you know, mm-hmm. becoming our own entrepreneurs and doing that. It's, it's more of a cultural thing. Or is it, is there, is there mm-hmm. actually a systematic ceiling that, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a hard question. I don't want to put blame on anything. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. But, I think it's an interesting question to yeah, explore. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, again, there's no solid answer. You know, the research can point in any direction. I know yeah. Ascend has done uh, quite a few studies into that. And, you know, it could point, yes, there may be. Is there correlation? Is it causation, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of the, so within product marketing, there's very few um, Asian directors and, and ironically even, like fewer Asian men in, in, in marketing leadership. So there was one gentleman who was a Korean American man and he was a senior director at the company. And I, I, I think it was actually very empowering that, you know, I asked him about that, like this topic, right? Especially, you know, as I was gearing up to, you know, take on these responsibilities leading this group, uh, this Asian uh, employee resource group. But what he said is basically, you know, it's as much of a problem as you make it, right? Where if you choose to ignore it, right? Like, you can do totally fine. The more you pay attention to it, the more it seems like a problem, right? And for he, and I think that's something I I kind of agree with that, right? To a certain extent, right? Where if you see it as a problem, yes, you will see more and more of like issues, right? And you can make an effort to make the problems better or you can just complain about the problem, right? So that's one element. It's like, okay, so do you choose to see the problem, 
right? For what it is or what it isn't, right? Because at the same time too, you can literally say, hey, at the end of the day, regardless of race, denomination, gender, right? As long as at the end of the day, it's leadership, it's results, right? And he was able to, you know, obtain a senior leadership role because he drove results, mm-hmm. right? At the same time, it's interesting that he is you know, considerably older than all the other, you know, non-Asian people roughly at his rank, mm-hmm. right? So could you say that there is something? You could say that, right? But you can't, you can never prove it. Right. right. And that's the same too. It's like, I found myself, you know, maybe I was playing the victim card. It's like, oh man, like you, you didn't get promoted because you were Asian. No, mm-hmm. that's a little bit tougher. And this kind of begets that earlier question that you had, where do you need to, right. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of acclimate or just to be fit in more to the culture. At the end of the day, it's not so much, you know, you can call it American culture. You can put quotes around, call it, you know, like white America culture in corporate mm-hmm. America. But at the end of the day, that is the culture though. Right. Depending on the company. Right. If that is the culture and you want to be a leader in that organization, then it is your responsibility to adopt that culture. Right. And supersede your own personal set of beliefs. Mm. Right. Because that is the trade off it takes. Right. Because you are becoming a recognized like you are elevating yourself as a up the totem pole to be this person better represents our leadership values as well as the company cultural values. Right. Mm. Both the company values as well as the, the culture of the people. So that's something to think about, something to chew on. But I guess like to play the devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. Let's say I am, you know, coming from, you know, a purely, like I came from Korea to Mm -hmm. work in America only and I didn't have any education or cultural, you know, interaction with any American culture. Mm -hmm. And I want to stay true to my roots. Um, Do I have to accept the fact that I can never be an authentically, like authentic Mm -hmm. person or do I just need to... It's hard work going to cut it, you know, is that? Certainly, yeah, yeah. And I think that same question, if you were to flip it, right, I think you get a clear answer because, you know, Japan, Korea, and even China to a certain extent have kind of xenophobic cultures, you know, like you can be an expat working in Korea, you know, Samsung, Lotte, you name your big table or very big company. And it is very much, if you're not natively Korean, you're never going to be, you know, an insider, right? Again, that's True. very, very, no, you know, oversimplified, right? But there's definitely a gap. And I think that same gap is going to exist in America. People generally speaking, you know, try to, you know, fit, try to, it's more of a melting pot, I would say, mm-hmm. right? So I think to that point, it's, hey, like, if you want to be, you know, it is going to be hard if you refuse to bend even a little bit, right? right. If you um, refuse to learn the language, if you refuse to associate with anyone that's not natively a Korean. And it's kind of funny too, like I think at the university level, uh, when there's so many, I think it's for many folks that grew up in, you know, grew up as minorities. Uh, so basically I would imagine like not very, very Asian areas that I, like, I grew up in, right? <laughs> Where, you know, say that, you know, there's only five Asian people in your whole school, you know, that's, you know, including Southeast Asians, uh, South Asian, whatever it may be. Then of course you have a, a different sense of identity compared to if you grew up in an area like myself, or if you go to college like UC Irvine, where there's so many Asian people, there almost becomes a subdivide between Korean Americans versus, you know, Koreans from Korea. There's different churches, yeah. there's different student groups, right? Because at the end of the day, when there's so much selection, right, then you have, you can kind of choose and you kind of to share a little bit more about that LinkedIn experience it's that's like a kind of one of the biggest challenges about the the Asian ERG like platform it's on the census right um, up until recently right like uh, uh, the idea of 
being Asian includes, you know, Southeast Asian, South Asian, right? And that alone, it's like, if you're to compare, you know, you know, Indian culture to Chinese culture, right? Okay, that's like a pretty stark difference, right? But what about, you know, Indian, Pakistani, Bangladesh? It's like, okay, well, are they going to have separate individual cultural groups for each of them, right? Uh, or one thing that we found was a kind of an interesting nuance. It's, you know, a lot of the, uh, we have a lot of folks from mainland China, right? And for them, to a certain extent, most of them, English is not their first language, right? So for them, oh, right. they actually don't feel comfortable coming out to these events, right? Like these you know, big, hey, let's learn about Asian culture, just like, hey, we're going right. to this Asian ERG because they have you know, sub-communities because right. there's so much representation already. So kind of going back to that point about, you know, if you're you know, from Korea, coming to America, you care deeply about your roots and you care deeply about your identity, right? It's how can you share that culture and identity with other people, right? So I think with that in mind, it's like, hey, how do you, like, you know, as I would recommend to that person, Say, hey, you know, how can you truly share your culture? Well, maybe the next time, say, you organize, hey, hey, teammate, you know, team at work, I would love to show you what Korean barbecue is. If there's no Korean barbecue restaurant, hey, you know, buy some meat, marinate it yourself, and like show them, like, hey, this is what we do back home, mm-hmm. right? Share on the find, find the things that you do have in common versus, I think it's very easy to find, you know, the, the areas where we are different, right? But I think yeah. finding common ground, people love music, people love to dance, you know, people love yeah. alcohol, people love barbecue, right? There's a certain <laughs> true, universal yeah. universalities, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you hit on a very good point that you know, we, it's so easy to see the differences, but it's mm-hmm. on us and, you know, everyone else to bridge that gap and, you know, see that we are more common in, in, in a lot of ways. And and separate from that is the skill sets, right? In corporate America, it's not about your culture and ethnicity. It's more mm-hmm. about how you, you know, bring your whole self to work and bring those uh, skill sets so that you can succeed. But mm-hmm. that's yeah, an amazing absolutely. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and with that, I, I don't, uh, I know we're approaching on the latter half of your, or end of our podcast, but um, what's next for you? Do you foresee yourself? I know you just started, but mm-hmm. is Singapore in the next five, 10 years, or is, is there something ooh, new ooh. for Der- Derek? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny how I, when I get this question from different people, I've, uh, it, it really depends on what, I, it's almost like you kind of like, know what are they really asking so for my parents they're like are you coming back in the next few months right <laughs> or like some of my friends are like you know maybe they're getting married you know the subliminal yeah. questions are, are you coming to my wedding right but in this case it's in the past i would have been very stressed or be anxious that if i don't have a plan if i don't know exactly how many years i would you know be uncertain that that would breed anxiety like oh is this gonna be a one-year play is this a five-year play and i think instead it's you know recognizing that there's gonna be things that are out of your control Right. I think for me right now with the startup, it's, you know, it's me being out here in Singapore is a very much a choice. You know, when we were being evaluated by the investment committee, whether our startup would get funded or not, it made me realize like, dude, I would much rather be here than in the Bay Area right now. Right. Mm-hmm. I still see, you know, America as home. You know, I still see Miss California. It is very humid yeah. out here. At the same time, too, especially with, you know, this uh, quarantine, they call it circuit breaker out here. Mm-hmm. It's made me realize that I'm not really experiencing the true Singapore. I've kind of just been inside a lot. Right. That's true. There's yeah. great food. Right. So for me, I'm really excited to be here at least through the year. And, you know, the whole world is changing. The whole world is changing so much, you know, uh, you know, just to speak lightly about this whole situation. Right. And it's, yeah made me realize that, hey, you know, the new normal is going to be very different. Uh, the economy is going to be different. Job opportunities will be very, very different. I'm almost thankful where I'm almost like laser focused on, you know, doing the startup. So it's, it's very strange where, you know, I don't 
watch the news as much as I used to do. I, uh, yeah, I'm basically always thinking about this startup, which, you know, it's very life consuming, but uh, it's made me realize like uh, if this startup continues to grow and thrive, yeah, I'll probably be out here. You know, there's probably some flexibility in working remotely in this, mm-hmm. this new day, uh, yeah. uh, day and age, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Derek, for your time. This was, this was great. Um, Thank you for joining us on another episode of Upward. You can find Upward on your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following us on social media, including Instagram at Upward underscore podcast for updates on future episodes, Breakthrough Asian Americans in Corporate America, and just for updates on the platform itself.